Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. You see, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get through all the comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in one of those questions and you tip to support the channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos. Now, I'm actually recording this at 7 p.m. at night on Tuesday night, so that puts me five hours away from uh, Boba Fett episode two. I'm really excited to see how that turns out. But anyway, guys, let's not waste any time. Let's get over to your comments and questions, shall we? And we're going to start getting caught up here with TB Bucks and Lightning Champions. I mean, it's good to be a Tampa Bay sports fan right now. Anyway, hi, John. Did you see Man in the Arena, Tom, the Tom Brady documentary on ESPN Plus app? Also, thoughts on Disney's uh, Disney Miracle, Kurt Russell locker room speech still gives me goosebumps. I noticed on your 2021 movies, you didn't mention Mortal Kombat, guessing it's on the worst list. No, Mortal Kombat wasn't on my worst list, but it was almost on my worst list, but I wasn't on my worst list. Uh, Miracle is a great movie, and I have not seen... Uh, man in the arena yet. I was going to wait for it to all be done and finished. And then I was going to go back and watch Tom Brady is my favorite football guy of all time. So I will get around to watching that, but I haven't started watching it yet. I'm going to binge it probably in the next couple of weeks sometime. Thanks for sending that in T bucks. All right, dude, the man writes, seeing a lot of people complaining that the flash will get rid of the previous DCU timeline. And I'm here. Like, were you expecting anything else? This shouldn't be the earth-shattering news fans are making it out to be. That's true. If it is, like, the moment they found out that this thing was going to be kind of, at to some degree, based on Flashpoint, you know it means a lot of different changes are going to come. Look, I, I just think this. I think there is no point in getting all riled up and excited or miserable or whatever over some unsubstantiated rumors. Let's just wait to see the movie. Because, like, they might do something in the movie that is wonderful and blows everybody away. I, I'm not saying it will, but, hey, it might. I think everybody's getting their, you know, their knickers tied up in a, a little bit too tight and getting their, uh, you know, their anal pucker a little bit too fastened up there. Just take a breath. Let's see what happens. Because right now, it's just whispers and rumors. Nothing, none of this is substantiated. So, and even if it was, let's see what, it, maybe it's something amazing in the movie. Don't know. Maybe it will be. Maybe it won't be. We'll find out. All right, next up. Jay Bling writes, this ultimately doesn't matter since Spider-Man No Way Home was already the highest grossing Spider-Man film and Sony filmed domestically and worldwide. But now it's the highest grossing film internationally and it didn't need China for it. That's interesting. That's interesting that it did that without China. Because I remember it, it is a big deal that it didn't play in China because you look at how much money it's made. And it could have made even more if it had China, but it's still done extremely, extremely well. Look, every way you look at Spider-Man No Way Home's box office run. It's super impressive. Whether you're talking about it in a pandemic era, which is, I mean, extra super impressive, or even before the pandemic era, it's massively super impressive. Domestically, internationally. Opening weekend, second weekend. I mean, it's just done bonkers, bonkers business. All right, next up. Spider Migs writes, Hey, John and crew. Well, it's just me right now. Been watching you guys uh, daily since Shang-Chi, and I've become a huge fan. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that. Uh, glad to see Rob back as well. Just saw the Truman Show for the first time, and it was amazing. Thanks for everything you guys do. Truman Show was, I mean, at that point, Jim Carrey had already started to be taken a little bit more seriously in the industry by the time Truman Show came out. But that kind of cemented him at that point. And it's crazy because I think when it came out, a lot of people liked it, but I don't think a lot of people looked at it and thought 20 years from now, this is still a movie that a lot of people are going to be talking about. And yet here we are. All right. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. And thanks for being here since Shang-Chi. All right. Next up, Kevin R. writes, I have never regretted spending money to see a movie in a theater until now. The Matrix Resurrections is the worst movie in history, followed by Jupiter Ascending. I uh, think it's time for the Chowskis to retire. Well, two things. I don't think it's... And look, I didn't like Matrix Resurrections. Make no bones about it. I didn't like that film. I don't think it's like a top five worst of the year, let alone of all time. But hey, if it did for you, it, it did for you. As far as the Wachowskis, remember, only one Wachowski directed this one, which was part of the reason why I wasn't all that excited for Matrix. Besides the fact that Matrix 2 and 3 were constant declines in quality, despite the fact that the stuff they made after Matrix, I think, has been pretty bad, 
on top of all that, only one of the Wachowskis was coming back, and that's one of the reasons I, I wasn't personally excited for it, Kevin, unfortunately. All right, next up. Uh, Hoop Suni writes, one of two. Regarding your concern with the MCU, I see it differently than you. You say only three-ish projects you've loved out of the last eight, which makes sense, but I see it as we still got three amazing projects in one year. So they're still giving us the same quality, no, 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 <laughs> the same quality uh, amazing projects as early MCU. No, they're not. Uh, but with more content altogether, I personally am glad that we're getting these more out-of-the-box MCU projects, even if they are not quite as good as their other stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad you look at it that way, but it's it's not that way, you know? It used to be that, like, four out of every five or five out of every six MCU things that would come out, I would love, right? And with, I was always a little bit concerned that once they started just churning out content like a conveyor belt in a, in a car factory, just churn it out, just more content, just churn it out, churn it out. I've always been worried that we're going to see a, a, a beginning to a dip in quality because 10 years ago, seven years ago, you never would have gotten only three out of eight projects were really great. It never would have been that before. Today it is. They never would have put out good stuff. And listen, other than Hawkeye, which I did not think was good, I still think Falcon and the Winter Soldier was good. I still think Loki was good. I still think Black Widow was good. I do. But... I'm accustomed, the quality level of Marvel has been higher than that. And Shang-Chi was amazing. Spider-Man No Way Home is amazing. WandaVision was amazing. But their consistency of that quality has dropped. They're no longer consistently firing on that kind of a level. Now, it's unrealistic to, it's un unrealistic to suspect or expect any company could sustain that level of excellence. It makes it even more impossible when you start churning out more and more and more and more and more content. But I would say this, their, their average has dropped. It's dropped. I, it used to be just a couple of years ago that going into any MCU project, I expected my socks to be blown off. And it usually met those expectations. Today, I no longer expect my socks to be blown off. I hope it does, like Spider-Man No Way Home did. I hope it does. But I no longer expect it because now, more times than not, it fails to do that. Out of their last eight projects, more than half of them have not blown my socks off. Now, I'm only speaking for myself as an individual fan. And that still means their quality is still really good. But it's not as good as it used to be. And so who knows? Maybe their next three or four projects in a row, maybe Moon Knight is going to be as good as WandaVision. Maybe Doctor Strange 2 will be as good as Shang-Chi. Maybe Thor Love and Thunder will be as good as Thor Ragnarok. And, and if so, great. Then they're right back on track. But right now, I got to say, as a massive, massive, massive MCU fan, yes, their, over, their consistency has dropped. Their quality has dropped. Uh, still better than most. Still great but not as good as it used to be. And that's that's kind of my concern. But anyway, that's just kind of my take on that, Hoopsuni. All right, next up. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, I loved No Way Home so much. I can't wait for a collector set to come out later on. Also for Rob, who is not here right now, uh, is No Way Home a Christmas movie? <laughs> LOL, PS, Green Goblin is boss. Yeah, look, listen, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin was great in the movie. And he was, he was great. I actually even think Willi uh, uh, Alfred Molina was even better. Like, Defoe was great. I thought Molina was even better. It was crazy that way. And uh, no, it's not a Christmas movie. All right, an anonymous viewer also writes, as awesome as all the movies, um, as awesome as all the movies this year look and sound, TV slash streaming looks incredible. Mandalorian Season 3, Kenobi, Game of Thrones prequel, Moon Knight. Uh, I don't know what ST4 is. Uh, I don't know what T-L-O-U is. Guys, please don't use acronyms. Um, Halo, and finally, finally, the Lord of the Rings series. What are your top three shows that you're looking forward to? Well, I, I don't like to do rankings, and honestly, I don't watch enough TV to give, like, rankings and stuff like that. I just don't watch enough of it. So I'm not a good guy, but I will say this. Um, 
dying for that Lord of the Rings show. Absolutely dying for that Lord of the Rings show. Uh, and I will say that's probably the thing I am looking forward to most on television this year. Like, I, I can't rank the other things, but I'll just say probably the thing I'm looking forward to most is probably that Lord of the Rings show. All right, next up, we've got Mike Thompson who writes, First, Jeff Hardy quits WWE by walking out mid-match. Then Antonio Brown quits Tampa Bay by walking off the field mid-game. Is there no other way to deal with a job you don't like these days than by just bouncing and leaving your coworkers hanging? Um, well, I mean, look, here's the thing. The Antonio Brown thing was at least wait till the game is over. Look, I have said this for a long time because, you know, I'm a big New England Patriots guy. When they signed Antonio Brown... I was, as a fan, furious. I thought that was a terrible move. I talked a lot about it. I mean, he's a super talented guy, but he was clearly a guy who did not know how to conduct himself. You look at everything that happened in Pittsburgh, you look at then all the circus that happened with the Raiders, and then now they decided to bring him in, and that didn't last long. And then there, then, but you shouldn't be surprised to anybody, like faking vaccination cards. Nobody should be surprised. Nobody should be surprised at all. So when I saw him running off the field that way, it's like, yeah, no, not surprised, not shocked at all. They never should have had him in the first place. Good riddance. I think the team will be better without him. He's, he's, what makes it all the more tragic is that dude is touched by God. I mean, his talent level is through the roof, but that doesn't help you if the guy is, to put it kindly, disruptive to your team. If he's disruptive to your team, it doesn't matter how talented they are. You're gonna, it's it's gonna hurt your team. And I don't think it's a coincidence that once he took off his jersey, like Tampa Bay was down by 14 when he pulled his little stunt, take off his jersey, and gave everybody a piece outside and ran out the building. It's not surprising that after he left, Tampa Bay came back and won the game. It's not a coincidence. It's not a surprise. So I mean, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. All right, next up. Uh, Drunken One Kenobi writes, Hey, John and crew. Happy New Year. Thank you so much, man. I was just watching your show and you presented your most anticipated movies list for 2022. And it got me wondering, what are your most anticipated TV shows slash series for 2022? Bring on the filthy. Again, I don't watch enough TV. I mean, I watch maybe eight to 10 shows. But max, maybe that many, probably less. Uh, I, I, I lost count. Like there's so much stuff. Like I haven't even started watching 1883. I haven't even started watching. I mean, there's a whole ton of stuff I haven't watched, but going back to a previous question, I think pretty easily my most anticipated thing this year is the Lord of the Rings series. I think that above everything, there's a number of shows I'm looking forward to for sure. Like many of them on Disney plus, but Lord of the Rings is the one I'm looking forward to the most. All right. TJ writes, I think any superhero who says they don't kill is complete bullshit, especially people with super strength like Superman, Spider-Man, etc. Yes, they are holding back, but they are still hitting harder than a human. Listen, this is an argument I have with people a lot of times. Like, in many different eras, Batman has killed in the comic books. He's also killed in every single Batman movie that, that has ever had Batman. But, you know, a more modern iteration of Batman says Batman has a hard and fast rule they don't kill. But, that's only because the writers write it that way. You see, when you read the pages of Batman and you see the things he does to criminals, that would kill them. But the writers just say they didn't die. That's, that's it. When a superpowered being hits another person, they go through a wall. Well, they would probably die. Their spines would probably shatter and all that kind of stuff. Their internal organs would get turned into mush. Blah, blah. But the writers just say it doesn't actually do that to them. It's, it's a convenient and honestly a bullshit out because you have still the superheroes doing all this incredible violence. I mean, but they're superheroes. I mean, they're, they're stopping the bad guys. So they're doing all this incredible violence to the villains, but just saying, oh, but that didn't kill the villain. So we can pretend that this hero has this, we do not kill. I often go back to this one. I remember the pages of this one Batman comic where he's kind of stalking down a couple of thugs, right? Just a couple of thugs. And they're in an, an old abandoned house. And Batman's got this internal monologue going in this think bubble. He goes, there's two of them. They're slow. They're, 
they're they're panicked right now. They know I'm here, but they don't know where. And then right, right, then Batman comes sailing down out of the rafters, like 280 pounds of them, and lands with his knees on a guy's chest right into the floor, and it breaks through the floor. They're on the second floor, and went all the way down to the next floor with Batman's knees right in the guy's chest, right? And in Batman's thought bubble's like, six broken ribs, ruptured spleen. He's going to be in traction for six months. And I'm like, no, he's dead. Like, if you do that, he's dead. So if you want to pretend in your comic books that our hero has this hard and fast rule that he does not kill, then don't do, don't, then don't have them doing things that would easily kill a regular human being. It's just one of those little things that kind of irritates me a little bit sometimes. I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's just one little thing that just itches in the back of my brain whenever I read it in a comic. All right, next up, uh, we've got Russell Amador who writes, Hey, John, decided to roll over this question from a past weekend's Ask Me Anything. I speak on behalf of the many viewers uh, that this show is epic, especially with the ensemble and Rob's return. Uh, what are some goals for the Campia show for this upcoming year? Well, thank you so much for that. And yeah, listen, I... I think the honestly, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back here a little bit. Now, remember, guys, very rarely should you pat yourself on the back because it's only six inches away from a kick in the ass. But a little bit of a pat in the back. I knew <coughs> that the right move for our show was, sorry, a bit of this went down the wrong pipe. Uh, okay. So <coughs> I knew that the right move for our show was to bring everybody in the same room again. Now, that's the way we always used to do it with the John Campia show. But when the pandemic initially hit, that made it not possible. So that's when Rob and I started to do the show remotely, right? We used to do it over Skype or whatever. And, and that's fine. And it works in a fix. It totally worked. But the energy of the show is different. It just is. And I knew that the right thing for my show was to get everybody in the same room again. There's just, a, a, there's an energy difference. There's a chemistry difference. There's an entertainment difference, I believe. It certainly makes it more fun for me when everybody's in the same room. And I think, you know, and then, and Rob agreed with me, but unfortunately, you know, Rob just looked at his schedule after we talked about it. Like he agreed with me. Yeah, let's do it in person again. This will be best for the show. But then he started looking at his own commitments and his own schedule. It's like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if this is going to work. So it took a little bit of time, but we were able to finally figure out a way to make it work that he can come in and, and be on the show. And which is great. So I've always, I mean, I love working with Rob. I've, I've been working with Rob for years. I love working with him and he loves working with me. So we were able to work it all out. And I think the last two days have proved definitively that having everybody in the same room is infinitely better. Like again, if, if the pandemic gets super worse and we have to go back to remote, we'll make do and, and and we can do it and the show will be fine. But the energy, the, the, the excitement, the chemistry, the connection, the being able to feed off each other, the, the ability to be able to communicate with each other with just gestures and eye contact and words. And it just, I personally think, I hope you guys agree that the last two shows we've done the last two days have been a couple of the best shows that we've done in months, maybe in a year or two. I just know for me, it's been the most fun. And I'll tell you what, I am so thrilled right now, the chemistry of the group that we have with myself, Kimberly, Rob, and Ray. I I just really think this is probably the best, I'm not saying, you know, I haven't worked with, with even better people. I'm just saying, I don't think there's been a specific combination of people that I have enjoyed working with this much than when it was like, me, Harloff, Ellis, and Schnepp. Like, I, I don't think I've I've had as much fun with a particular combination of people as I do with me, Kim, Ray, and Rob since it was me, Harloff, Ellis, and Schnepp. Like, it's serious. It's, I'm having an absolute blast. I'm loving it. Now, as far as what, you know, what I'm kind of hoping for the next year, I have some plans, but I'm going to keep those close to the vest for now because, I mean, I don't know how realistic they are, but it's something that I'm working towards. But I will tell you this. I'll tell you two things. One, I am working on another feature project um, with somebody else. 
And I'm going to probably include the whole company, my whole company. And the name of my company is Carson Drive Media. Um, I'm probably all of Carson Drive Media is going to get behind it. But we'll have some announcements of that sometime later in the year. The other thing that I'd really like to do, now that we have some regular sponsors, and thank God for our sponsors, um, but now that we have some regular sponsors, uh, which makes me be able to afford having Kim and Ray and Rob uh, all together doing this as a gig. I mean, you know, thank you to our sponsor. Thank you to all you guys who support the channel, number one. Uh, that's the foundation of everything we can do financially. And then on top of that, to really do more stuff, we needed the sponsors. And the sponsors have come through for us in spades. And what I hope to be able to do, we're not there yet, but what I hope to be able to do sometime this year, maybe maybe later this year, maybe by fall, but maybe it'll never happen. I don't know. But what I'd love to have happen is to be able to have enough finances to move out of my converted garage into some actual studio and office space. I would love that. To have more studio space, to actually have the finances to then get in uh, operator. Because right now when we do the show, I do everything myself. You know, I'm surrounded by one, two, three, four, five monitors. I am doing the camera switching. I'm a, I'm controlling the graphics, controlling the audio, bringing up the various web pages, you know, all that kind of stuff. Doing the transitions as I'm trying to do the show. I would love to be able to afford to have an employee come in and operate for me so I can just focus on what I'm talking about and not have to keep my attention on all this stuff too. So uh, one is a feature project that I'm going to be doing with somebody else who you know, but we're going to keep that under wraps for now because um, who knows, maybe it won't happen. Uh, and two, I'd love to be able to move into a dedicated studio space and have an operator operate all the technology so I don't have to while doing the show. So that's a pretty long extended answer for all that, but uh, those are some goals. I don't know how realistic those goals are because all that costs a lot of money. Um, so I don't know, but we will see. We will see how things go, man. All right, next up. Thank you for asking. Uh, next up, we've got Pepper Jack and Pepper Jack writes, I've noticed majority of the sourcing in the Bob Chapek hit pieces in the trades they haven't been hit pieces. They've just been journalism reporting, reporting what's going on. They're not hit hit pieces. Anyway, is typically very vague, i.e. anonymous sources say, etc. Should we all take these articles with a huge grain of salt considering the iffy sourcing? Thank you, John. Not at all. If this was, if these trades were um, Gus's gas station reviews dot fart, if these outlets were uh, bigtimemoviegeek.net, if that was the outlet, then yes, you shouldn't take those reports seriously. If it was the John Campia show, and I'm saying, I've got unnamed inside uh, sources telling me that Bob Chapek is doing that, then you need to take it with a giant grain of salt. You don't need to do that with The Hollywood Reporter, with R Variety, and with The Wrap. Um, these are legitimate journalism places that have rules of journalistic procedure and journalistic integrity. And... Yeah, so no. If it's coming from those trades, no. If, if they say they have sources, they have sources. And it's not my cousin Billy who works at Denny's once served lunch to a Disney vice president and he overheard him saying to somebody else over lunch that he doesn't like Bob. No, 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 no. I mean, legitimate sources. And I, I think one of the problems with our culture today, the, the idiocracy trend of our culture today is that we've often confused like Gus's gas station movie reviews dot fart with the Hollywood reporter. And we don't understand the difference and there is a difference. And so, no, I don't think we have to take that with any grain of salt. If it was coming from anywhere else. Yes. Coming from the major trades with actual journalists, like real journalists who work for them. Can I go off on a little bit of a rant here for a second? I go off on a rant here for a second. This has always been a problem, but it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Where fucktard nobodies like me, um, who run a YouTube channel or have a blog or whatever, call themselves journalists. Or say they they're the work they do is, is journalism. Let me be very clear. 
You ain't fucking journalists, okay? Shut the fuck up. You're not a journalist, all right? I remember I was I was came across this one YouTube video because I was looking up information on I was looking up for for some information on the Antonio Brown situation, right? And I came across like this one sports YouTube channel and the guy's like, you guys know that, you know, in, in my pursuit of journalism and it was a dude who was literally in his bedroom, but in my pursuit of journalism, I strive to be the first one to bring you information about, you know, big events in the world news as soon as the stories break. So basically what he's saying is as soon as real journalists write stories, then I take it and regurgitate it back. And that's what fucktard nobodies like me do. Like, I I tell people my show is not a movie news show. Uh, my, I, I am not a reporter. I am not a journalist. I'm a pundit. What I do is I take the information that's out there and I give my Im- impressions of it, my interpretation of it. I try to give some context to it. But, you know, the thing is, I go to real news sources and get information from real news sources. The news is out there. I'm not a journalist. All right. I don't cover stories. I talk about issues just like anybody else talks about issues as they're on the subway going to work or chatting with their friend on the phone. We talk. I'm a pundit. I ain't no journalist. I leave that to real journalism. But there is such a growing thing of these people online who think because they record a podcast or think that they do a YouTube channel that they're journalists and they're doing the work of journalism. No, you're not. You're not. Just get your head out of your asses. You're not. I'm not. You're not. Okay? Don't get me wrong. I value what we do. I think there is a place and a valuable place for people like fucktard nobodies like me with YouTube channels and blogs and podcasts and and, and having our voices out there. I think there is a place for it. I think there's value to it. Obviously, I do. I do it as a career. But let's not confuse that with journalism. Let's not confuse that with news coverage. You're not. What you are are regurgitators of very hand-selected pieces of information that you choose that most, you know, conveniently is an echo chamber to your own personal point of view. That's what most people do. And anyway, it's just a little bit of a frustrating thing because I also think it undermines what we actually do. You know, we are the water cooler. I think the John Campion show is the water cooler. And for a lot of people who do come to the John Campion show to find out what the news is, well, then I make sure that you're getting it from like real sources. And when there's a question to it, we say, listen, we don't know if this can be taken seriously. We think this has to be taken with a grain of salt. Let's talk about it in terms of if it's real. And then let's talk about it pretending that it's real for the sake of discussion. How would we feel about that? But we always try to make sure that we are communicating the work of actual journalists to you. And then we try to add more context to it. We try to give more, you know, side information to it. And we try to give you our perspective on it and give you a little bit of context. At least that's what we try to do. But anyway, uh, no, uh, the, the notion of that we, we don't have to take anything with a grain of salt. If it comes from actual legitimate journalism places, then I wouldn't worry about that pepper Jack. That's just me. All right. Next up. Uh, AMC Broom Closet Days writes, as a creator, how much do you take viewers' opinions into consideration when it comes to the content you do and the style you do it in? If you got a bunch of complaints about your show's format, style, or hosts, would you think about changing it at all? Well, there's two different answers to that. On the one hand, a great NFL coach once said, you know, he was asked by by a uh, sports reporter, you know, do you ever listen to the fans? Cause the fans were calling for somebody else to be quarterback. And the coach said, coaches that listen to the fans are destined to be sitting with them next week. I love that. The fans don't know football as well as that NFL coach does fans. Every fan thinks they know football as good as the coach. They don't. The coach knows better. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes they're wrong, but the coach who listens to the fans is destined to be sitting with them next week. I love that saying. I love it. 
But there also comes a point. I'll give you an example. Um, do I, you know, when I get a bunch of emails from people saying, you need to do this, or you need to stop doing that. Do I listen to that? No, I don't. Um, I, I've been doing this for how many years have I, ever since I started the movie blog, how long have I been doing this? 15, 16, 17, 18 years I've been doing this now for, uh, ever since I started the movie blog, man, that was a long time ago. Anyway, uh, I think I, I, I have a pretty good, I'm not the world's leading expert, but I think I got a pretty good handle on how to do what I do. I've had some success at it. So I, I, you know, in the words of Yoda, my own counsel would I keep or something. That was a terrible Yoda impression. I should never do that again. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, there have been points when I won't know the answer because the answer is how does the audience respond to it? When I make a new show, whether I've done it at AMC or Collider or whatever, when I would make a new show that I think would be really good, um, it's for the audience. And therefore, I've got to really hear if the audience is responding to it or not. If I have a certain person as in this position or that person, that position, or I want to you know, use this configuration, whatever, I, I'll keep my own counsel on that. But things that are for the audience, that I've got to listen. So we have done shows in the past that we've launched and it didn't get received well, and I got to hear that. And so then we've stopped doing those shows or we canceled those shows. I remember earlier in the John, not right at the very beginning, but earlier in the John Campia show history, maybe about three years ago, um, I did a search for a new kind of co-host on the show. Like not a pundit like Rob, but like a, a co-host, somebody who would like bring some personality, somebody like what an Ashley Mova used to do so well back in the AMC days. And I went through, I got hundreds and hundreds of applications. I interviewed dozens of people and I came down to this one girl who I personally thought was great. I personally thought she was great. And we rolled her out and she did, I think three episodes, maybe four. And our audience hated her. And that's the thing. Like that role was meant to be for the fans, to bring an energy for the fans, to bring a personality for the fans. And for whatever reason, you know, not everybody, but a lot of our viewers weren't mean about it. They just were saying, Hey, you know, the new person's not working. And when it's something like that, that is specifically there for the fans. And then when the fans are coming back to me and saying, yeah, that thing that's for us, not working. I got to pay attention to that. That I got to pay attention to. So a lot of other, almost, I'd say 80% of the stuff, no, I don't listen to criticisms or whatever. I, I keep my own counsel on that stuff. But there are some things that are very directly just connected to, this is meant for the experience of the audience. And if that thing that is meant for the experience of the audience isn't delivering the experience, even if I thought it would, then I got to make a change. And I have done that. I have done that. And I will continue to do that. I will keep my own counsel on 80% of my decisions, but I will also listen very heavily for the things that are designed specifically for our audience. And, uh, and I'll always kind of do it that way. Great question, man. I, I hope I gave you a little bit of information on that at any rate. Anyway, next up, uh, Scott Brown writes, best and worst of 2021. Worst three, Halloween kills. Yeah, I didn't like Halloween kill. I, too bad because I loved Halloween. I, but I did not, I was not a big fan of Halloween Kills. Two, Godzilla versus Kong. I actually like Godzilla versus Kong. Number one, Venom 2. I also really like Venom 2. Uh, best five, Quiet Place 2, loved it. Number four, Suicide Squad, loved it. Number three, Coda, loved it. Number two, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And number one, Dune. That's a nice list, man. Uh, again, I disagree with the, with everything except Halloween Kills on your worst list. I really liked Venom 2. And I really liked Godzilla vs. Kong, but they didn't work for you. And that's the important thing. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Scott. All right. Uh, next up, we got Simpygar, who writes, I have to say that I'm pretty excited for the Halo series coming to Paramount+. Plus. I don't have the service, but we'll be getting it for this show. Still remember playing the game when it first came out uh, when I was a kid. Love the universe from the game. I know Ray is super excited for that Halo series. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not think the trailer was good. I thought it looked like 2007 video game cutscene kind of stuff. 
Like all the environments looked clearly faked. Um, I, I just wasn't impressed by it. Now I hope it's great. I hope it's great. And I know Ray is going bananas excited for it. So for his sake, I hope it's really awesome. So here's fingers crossed, Senpai Gar. Here's fingers crossed. All right, next up. Murray Reich writes, one of three. Saw The King's Man, and I have to say I was very disappointed. Like, I had no anticipation for it because the second one was terrible and because this film takes place during World War I. But I saw it because I wanted some action, and I got it. It focuses more on how World War I started in the movie's perspective instead and not the history of the Kingsman until closer to the third act. By then, you get the similar fighting style of the first two movies. But overall, everything was all over the place. Some pretty bold choices. The acting, though, was on point. I expect no less with Ray Fiennes being in it, especially from Ray Fiennes. But I would say uh, wait for it to be on TV slash streaming on a rainy night. Meh at best. Uh, Hashtag just end the franchise already. Yeah, listen, Murray, thank you for for giving us your thoughts on that. I wish I could be interested in this movie. I haven't gone to see it. Despite the fact that I love Ray Fiennes, you guys know, I call Ray Fiennes, I believe Ray Fiennes is the greatest actor in the world who does not have an Oscar on his mantle. I I, I, yeah, I think easily he's the most gifted, talented actor in the world. That doesn't have a mantle, uh, an Oscar on his mantle. For a long time, that honor belonged to Gary Oldman, but then he won his Academy Award not long ago, so then the mantle got passed to him, but... I'll just be honest with you. After the second Kingsman, I just kind of got turned off the idea of Kingsman. And then, you know, well, I'd be interested in the Kingsman, but then I started hearing bad things about it. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to go and, and waste my time with it. So I haven't seen it yet. So uh, thanks for giving me your thoughts on it, Murray Reich. That makes me feel better about my decision. All right. Next up is also Murray Reich, who writes, one or two. I saw the new Matrix movie, and all I have to say is, who wrote this movie again? Like, like they, to use a Warner Brothers pitch meeting reference was BS. They retconned things from the original movies. Also, you couldn't have to wait. You couldn't have wait to make this movie with Hugo Weaving in it uh, because Agent Smith, Smith sucked ass in this one. Uh, plus, not a lot of screen time for Trinity. The reason behind Morpheus not being in the film was like Deadpool saying lazy writing. Uh, at the end of the day, they basically remade Matrix 1, but horribly done. I mean, I will say this. The Agent Smith character still would have been as bad if it was Hugo Weaving. It would have been the same character saying the exact same lines. That's it. So it's st- but it would have been Hugo Weaving doing it, which would have been more interesting. But I thought the guy they had doing it did as well as that material would let an actor do. Let's just put it that way. There's only so much any actor could have done with that material. And I thought the guy who went in there to do it did a, did a fine job uh, portraying it. Uh, I thought the reason for Morpheus not being there was fine. Morpheus was dead and the machines weren't resurrecting him. So I, I'm okay with their explanation for Mor- Morbius. I am. I'm okay with that. You know me. I didn't like this movie. I didn't think this movie was good at all, but I thought that was all right. You're right. Very little Trinity. It was very retconian. I mean, they retconned a bunch of things, key important things that they didn't even bother to really go much into logic-wise. Overall, I thought the movie was a massive disappointment. And I say that as having not a lot of... You guys know I've been saying for a year, I've gotten really no excitement for that movie. I wasn't excited for it. I didn't have very high expectations for it. And even then, it's still disappointed. And that, that I think, says a lot. All right, next up. Uh, Bryson Parker writes... Hey guys, with Morbius pushed to April and considering it was just less than a month away to release, is it possible that the movie could get reshoots or altered in big ways in the next couple of months? Or is it just going to be sitting on a shelf until April? It's just going to be sitting on a shelf till April because that's just not enough time. Jared Leto's off doing different things. The director's off doing different things. All the other cast have other commitments and stuff like that. You'd have to coordinate all that. And they already believe in their movie. They believe in their movie. Lots of movies get delayed a year and they don't change a thing on it. Plus, they've spent their budget on it. And they already really like this movie. That's the key thing here. They love this movie. Now, whether or not you and I will love it, that remains to be seen. But the people at Sony love this movie. So... Yeah, when a movie gets delayed, it's it's just delayed. It's just going to have to sit there. It's wrapped. 
the bow is on it. It's sitting on the shelf right now. They just got to get be ready for it to go. And hopefully the movie theaters will all be in a good place come April 1st and we're able to get to see it because I'm, for one, very, very excited to see it. All right. Next up, Mostly Me writes, Hey, John. So I thought of giving a little show called Ted Lasso a shot last night. I'm glad you did. Ended up binging all episodes. It was like watching Ned Flanders' Simpsons come to life. I never thought of it that way, mostly me, but I think you're absolutely right. Ted Lasso is basically a living representation of Ned Flanders. Um, such a heartwarming show that just makes me smile. I love this show. I, I thought the first episode was okay. And I might have even given up on it after one episode. But I, I, not that I disliked it. I thought it was okay. I thought it was all right. But Anne was like, no, no, no. Let's watch another one right now. So we watched the second episode. And after, by the end of the second episode, I was in love with the show. Absolutely in love with the show. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't like season two as much as season one. But I still did very much like season two. But yeah, overall, I just love the show. I'm glad you found it, mostly me. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Hi, John. Do you think it's likely the DCEU could limit which Batman characters are used in potential future projects related to Matt Reeves as the Batman? I don't know what you mean by that. For instance, if Reeves wanted to use Batgirl in a future sequel, would Warner Brothers stop it uh, via a bat embargo? Uh, who knows? I, I have no answer for that. At this point, I will say this. If Matt Reeves is the Batman is a big success, let's, for argument's sake, say it makes a billion dollars. All right. Let's say ben, uh, Matt Reeves's Batman makes a billion dollars at the box office. Warner Brothers isn't going to say no to Matt Reeves for anything. For anything. If he wants to bring Batgirl in at that point and his movie made a billion dollars, they're going to let him bring Batgirl into it. It's just that simple. If he says he wants to bring a Joker, he wants to introduce his own version of the Joker, they'll let him do it. If he says he wants to introduce Robin, they'll let him do it. it I mean, again, this is if the Batman is a huge runaway success with the audience, the critics, and the box office, then he's going to be able to call his own shot. So um, it all and, and if the Batman flops at the box office, let's say it makes three hundred million dollars, which isn't really a flop, but I mean, if it made like three hundred million dollars, it's not so well received by the audience, not so well received by the critics. Well, then they'll probably have a much tighter leash. More than that, they probably won't let him make another one at all. So it all comes down to how does this Batman do? All right. Next up, we've got the memo of Boba Fett writes one of three. Happy New Year, gang. Glad Rob is back. I'm glad too. I finally watched Spider-Man No Way Home and sorry, it was just not for me. But hey, all films are subjective, right? Absolutely. However, I do applaud Sony for giving fans what they want, unlike Warner Brothers. Botch Fantastic Beasts. I'm I'm not so concerned. I don't know that I agree that they've botched Fantastic Beasts. I don't think they're as good as the Harry Potter movies, but I think they've been actually been pretty good. Anyway, DC, I don't think they've botched DC. I mean, I I obviously you know what I think about Man of Steel. Uh I like Batman versus Superman. I like Justice League. I like Wonder Woman. I like Aquaman. I I think they've done a lot of good. Anyway, and Matrix. Well, yeah, this uh, Matrix they've kind of botched too. But hey, you know what? I get it. Like, listen, I've seen Spider-Man No Way Home a few times now, and I still love it. But every time I watch it, a few more flaws kind of stand out to me more and more as I watch it a little bit. I mean, still overall, I love the film. I do. Had a great time with it. I absolutely love it. But I could totally see. It's one of those movies where I could see that if it didn't work for you, I totally get why it didn't. Anyway, um, two of three. I wish A24 slash Amazon slash Universal slash Paramount would buy DC from Warner Brothers. Well, remember, um, Warner Brothers is about to get sold. They're about to have new bosses. Discovery is buying Warner Brothers away from AT&T. They're going to have a whole new leadership uh, structure involved, including a brand new CEO because Jason Kalar is out as soon as Disney takes over. And the CEO of Discovery, Zaslav, he's going to install a brand new CEO to be in charge of Warner Brothers under him. And it's going to be a whole new game. Anyway, uh, anyway, my top 10 of 2021. Number 10, The Suicide Squad. Number 9, King Richard. Number 8, Licorice Pizza. Number 7, A Quiet Place 2. Number 6, Nightmare Alley. Still haven't seen Nightmare Alley. Number 5, Being the Ricardos. Number 4, West Side Story. Number 3, Drive My Car. Number 2, Dune. Number 1, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I, I didn't have Snyder's Justice League in my top 10. I thought it was an improvement on um, on the 
Justice League theatrical thing. And I already liked the Justice League theatrical release. I thought the Snyder version was an improvement. I wouldn't put it as number one movie of the year, but I love a lot of the films on your list. Um, three or three, the most anticipated films for 2022, 10 Black Adam, nine Top Gun Maverick, eight Jurassic World Dominion, seven Elvis, six Bullet Train, five Mission Impossible 7, four Thor Love and Thunder, three David O. Russell's new film, whatever that is, but he's got a great cast already. Number two, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Number one, The Batman. It's funny because your number 10 and number one are the same as my number 10s and number one. My number 10 was Black Adam. My number one by far is absolutely The Batman. All right, next up, Marie Seifring writes, Hey, John, Kim, Ray, and Rob. Well, obviously, I'm flying solo right now. I have only seen Lady Gaga in a Star is Born remake and House of Gucci. I liked her in both. Do you see her becoming an actress regularly considered for lead roles, even in films not focused on stories about a singer? Thanks. Well, I mean, when you look at the House of Gucci, the House of Gucci is already a film not based on a singer. Look, I... I didn't know that she had acting in her background. I didn't know that. So when she was in A Star Is Born, I'm like, ah, why are they putting Lady Gaga on that? But listen, man, all due respect, she was great. She was so good in that movie. And I thought she was wonderful in House of Gucci. I, I really did. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. In it. And I like House of Gucci. I know a lot of people didn't. I thought House of Gucci was good at least until the third act. I didn't think the third act was very good at all. But yeah, I can see, Marie, I can see her doing a lot more of that. I mean, she's having great success because when you're in a movie that's not all that well-received, but people still loved your performance like she did in House of Gucci, that makes life a lot easier. So I think we could see her doing a lot of acting in the next four or five, six years. All right, next up, we've got Fanimator and Fanimator writes, what movie ideas could easily make a billion dollars like No Way Home, Endgame, or Star Wars 7? For example, a Harry Potter film with the original cast returning. Granted, a movie called Batman with Superman could have made $2 billion, and we all know what happened to that. Well, I mean, that's the key right there, Fanimator. What Batman versus Superman taught us is there's no such thing as an automatic billion dollars. No such thing. In hindsight... Oh, yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home. Sure, in hindsight, and a lot of us expected it would, but making a film that make a billion dollars is not easy. And I don't know that there's any idea that easily makes a billion dollars. Because honestly, if there was ever a movie that easily should have made a billion dollars, it was Batman versus Superman. That, sh that shouldn't have been a question. I've said this for years now, but it's absolutely true. The only question about Batman versus Superman, as far as box office goes, should have been, could it make $2 billion? That, that was honestly the only question. Are you kidding me? Batman versus Superman. And it didn't. Even though I liked the movie, but it didn't. And I think that teaches us a big lesson that, you know, you can't, because I know some people... They try to curse all, you know, they say all oh, the Star Wars movies have been failures. Really? Because other than Solo, which I still thought was a good movie, but it flopped. Other than Solo, they've all made a billion dollars. People go, well, that's just because of Star Wars. Any Star Wars movie will make a billion dollars. Uh, tell that to Batman versus Superman. That just because a name is attached to it, that automatically means it makes a billion dollars. That's, that's a cop-out bullshit, soggy-ass answer. It's, it's not true at all. The movie made a billion dollars because people really wanted to go see it and they went to see it multiple times, even though I hated The Rise of Skywalker, but even The Rise of Skywalker, which I hated, ended up making over a billion dollars. Not an easy thing to do. I don't care what your name is. If that was the case, then Black Widow should have made a billion dollars because it's got the Marvel name on it. Eternal should have made a billion dollars because it's got the Marvel name on it. Shang-Chi should have made a billion dollars because it's got the Marvel name on it, but they didn't. Doctor Strange, one, should have made a billion dollars, but it didn't. I mean, it, it's not as easy. That's why out of the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of feature films that have been made in the history of Hollywood, there haven't even been 50 that have joined the Billion Dollar Club. Not even 50. Spider-Man No Way Home was the 49th. We're waiting to see what is going to be the 50th member of that club. But it's not an easy thing, man. There's no easy answers. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Fanimator. All right. Next up. Uh, Daki writes, part one, here's my pitch for the next billion dollar franchise. Big surprises, the ticket, the quest for ticket watch, a rough and tumble dancer Pisces and his trustworthy Kim and chef pleasures must stop the dastardly Viceroy from taking all the tickets. I love it. 
billion dollar idea. Sign it up and make it happen, Dacky. Make it happen. Uh, part two. Uh, cameos include the great Cookie Cummins. You probably mean Aaron Cummings. I-N-G-S. Cummings. Cummings as uh, Babette Fett and Grand Moff Harloff as the master. It's funny. I was just texting with Harloff before we started the show. Uh, and Grand Moff Harloff as the master of Schmodown Mining Project. Get your tickets now. Again, Daki, sign me up. If you need a letter of recommendation in any of the studios, I will sign that letter. Let's make that movie happen. All right. Fanimator writes, what would be your early guess for Batman's opening weekend if everything with no delays? I personally would say it makes 120 to 150 million opening weekend. Also, Batman comes out on my birthday, March 3rd, so I plan to do something special for that. I it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Look, I as much as the Batman is my number one by far, my number one most anticipated movie this year. I was talking about this earlier, but it has a couple of major obstacles in front of it. Okay. Obstacle number one is that there's going to be some confusion with the audience. Wait a minute. I, th I thought Ben Affleck was Batman. Well, wait, no, no, wait. I heard Michael Keaton was coming back as Batman. Wait a minute. Robert Pattinson is Batman. Well, wait a second. Is Superman in this Batman movie? Does Aquaman like, I think there is going to be a little bit of confusion surrounding this movie uh, going into it about like what's going on with all the Batman Right. So I think that's going to be working against it. The second thing working against it is that no movie, even with Ben Affleck, no movie with Batman has made a billion dollars yet. Right. No movie with Batman has made a billion dollars yet. In the as far as the DCEU era goes. Right. Christopher Nolan's stuff. That was a different era in the DCU era. No movie with Batman, whether it's Batman versus Superman or or uh, or Justice League made a billion dollars. So that's working against it. The third thing working against it is there are still a lot of people out there who are turned off by the fact that Twilight Boy, that Robert Pattinson is playing Batman because they don't understand that since Twilight, he has become one of the world's most sought-after actors by directors. He's become a world-class actor. And they haven't seen all these great independent projects he's done over the last seven, eight years. And so they don't realize it. So the last, the only thing they know Robert Pattinson from was, well, he was that vampire in Twilight. Like, that's it. That's all they know him from. And so I don't know. Look, and plus, we don't know how good the movie is. For all we know, the reviews are going to come out and the reviews are going to suck. I mean, we don't know. I think it looks awesome. It's my number one most anticipated movie of the year. I hope it's awesome. But who knows? So it's really difficult to say. I think 150 million opening weekend is a tall order. Considering all the, the speed bumps in front of it, it's a tall order. And remember, I, I had people for a year insisting to me that Matrix was going to open to 150 to 200 million dollars. A lot of you guys watching this video wrote to me to tell me the Matrix is going to open to 150 to 200 million dollars. But I mean, it's hard to call. I, I think 150 is a stretch. But then again, maybe a week before it comes out, all the critics start raving and start spreading the word that this is the best comic book movie ever made, then 150 isn't hard to believe. Maybe 200 million comes to play. But right now, it's hard to say. If I had to give, give a guess right now, but I totally reserve the right to change my estimate as we get closer to the movie's release, okay? So I'm, I'm, do not hold me to this number. Right now, my guess is 105 million. 105 million. I think that would be good. Uh, but as we get closer, maybe that number goes up or down. We'll have to wait and see. But it, I cannot wait, man. I cannot wait for this movie. All right, next up. Dr. Nova writes, I don't make the distinction between favorite and best. I use the word favorite, though someone asked me why I had a treasure planet over Toy Story on my favorite animated movies. And I said, because space pirates and cats. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, we had this discussion on a companion video yesterday that I am starting, my whole life I've made a distinction between what I think of my favorite movies and what I think are my best. But I think I'm starting to change my mind about that. I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding. It's an artificial distinction. That if it is your favorite, then to you, that is your best. I remember I started talking, Rob and I started, Rob would disagree with me on this saying, well, you know, I like Star Trek one more, but Star Trek two is the better film. And I said to him, if Star Trek two was the better film, you would like it more. Because what are movies if not, movies are experiential events. And if Star Trek 1, 
for you, the way it's written, the way its characters are done, the way the story unfolds, if that movie is the one that created the better experience for you, then to you, that's the better movie. Well, no, no, see, so see, I think the story in, in two is better. Well, if you thought the story in two was better, then that would be your favorite. But clearly, it's not better to you. That's why you like one better. So I am starting to believe, even though I felt one way about these movies for 40 years, I'm really starting to change my mind that no, there is no distinction. If you, one movie is your favorite, then that is the one you think is best. Saying something else is best other than your favorite is just trying to cover your ass so you don't, so you look cool. Well, you know, my favorite one is this, but, uh, but I must say that the best one is this. That's just you trying to fit in. That's just you trying to fit in with everybody else. If you think another movie had a better story, then that one would be your favorite. If you thought the other movie had better action, then that one would be your favorite. If you thought the other movie was better, then that would be your favorite, you know? But you didn't, and so that's, so that's just the way I kind of see it. All right, next up, Dr. Nova writes, my top 10 favorite first-time watches of 2021. Number 10, Rope. Number nine, Disobedience. Number eight, When Marine Was There. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, number seven, Silence. Number six, Jacob's Ladder. Number five, Prisoners. Uh, number four, Flash Gordon. Number three, The Italian Job. Number two, Hard Candy. Number one, Little Women, the 2019 version. That's the one with uh, Emma. I think the Sir Ronan is in that and Emma uh, Emma Watson. I was almost at Emma Roberts. Emma Watson was in that one. That one's really good too. Uh, this year, tons of Sherlock Holmes to watch. Yeah, I haven't watched a whole lot of Sherlock Holmes, so I probably would have a lot to get got up on that, but Denis Villeneuve's Prisoners. That is like a gut punch of a powerful film. I'm glad you had a chance to share. That's a really good list to send in, Dr. Nova. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right, next up. Chris writes, Hey, John. Uh, love all that you, Kim, and Ray do. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. I know you hate X actor and X role questions, but here's three I think you'd like. Mads Mikkelsen or Kenneth Branagh as Magneto and Ray Fiennes as Xavier. Thoughts? I know Mik Mikkelsen is in Doctor Strange, but I can dream though. Well, I mean, see, here's the thing, Chris. This is why I don't like X, question, or X actor and X role questions because the only thing that matters to me, because I haven't read the script, I don't know specifically what the vision for the character that the director has. So any actor I come up with may or may not be a good fit. All I care about is do you get a talented performer? That's all I care about. So when you say, what would I think of Mads Mikkelsen as Magneto? Mikkelsen's a world-class actor. Yes. What do you think of Kenneth Branagh as Magneto? Kenneth Branagh is Kenneth Branagh. Of course, yes. What would I think of Ray Fiennes Xavier? I think Ray Fiennes is the greatest actor in the world who doesn't have an Academy Award. Yeah, so obviously I'd be all for these, but I wouldn't know if they would actually be the right fit for those characters depending on what the screenplay and the director doing that movie kind of have in mind. It's kind of like the same reason why, like, again, we go back to, like, say, The Dark Knight. So many people hated the Heath Ledger casting for Joker. What, Brokeback Mountain Boy? Yeah, yeah, Brokeback Mountain Boy. A lot of people hated that casting. Hated it. But you see, they didn't know what was in Christopher Nolan's mind. They didn't know how Christopher Nolan envisioned this Joker in this movie. And only he knew that. And knowing that, he knew that Heath Ledger was the right guy to bring that one to life. So, yeah, I just come down to, do I think they're a good actor? And I'll tell you what, man, the actors you just listed are freaking awesome. Mads Mikkelsen or Kenneth Braun as Magneto, sign me up. Ray Fiennes as Xavier, sign me up. I'd be all for it. All right, thanks a lot for that, Chris. Next up, Chris also writes, one of two. Hey, John, love all that you, Kim, and Ray do. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, do you think that after Discovery takes over Warner Brothers, we may get a 100% reboot of the DCEU with a new DC cinematic universe? <clears throat> I think it's possible. Now, look, any good executive knows that the sledgehammer is always should be your last option. And... Zaslav, the CEO of Discovery, who's going to be the new boss of Warner Brothers before he installs, handpicks his own general to kind of run, run Warner Brothers. 
I think the idea of just walking in with a giant sledgehammer and saying all the DC stuff that you guys have done right now is gone. I think that should be his last option. What I think he will do is he be he'll be very patient. I think the his first order of business is going to be install a new head of Warner Brothers that will report to him. He's going to pick somebody that's really smart, knows their business, and puts that in charge there. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of the first things Zaslav does is say, we are spinning the DC brand off from Warner Brothers. Or at least making it its own true division, like Marvel is its own true division under Disney. Because right now, DC isn't really its own division it's kind of just, uh, it's sort of its own thing living inside of Warner Brothers. Whereas the way Disney has Marvel structured, Marvel sits kind of outside of Disney, but under Disney's authority and control, but they operate as their own organization, like Lucasfilm operates, like Pixar operates, like Disney Animation operates, right? And I got, I kind of think the first thing they might do is create an infrastructure where DC is as kind of its own operation. They'll still report to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers will still be over it, but they'll kind of be their own operation thing like Marvel is at Disney. And I think then he'll give it some patience before taking a sledgehammer to it. So is it possible? Yes. Do I think it's going to happen? I think Zaslav's too smart. I think he'll give us some time. Um, Chris also writes, I'm fine with DC doing solo films and offshoots on the side, but I think this would offer a clean slate for their main universe. Overall, as long as DC makes good films, I'm happy. But I think I'm the long, but I think I'm the long run. A hundred percent would help a lot. Thoughts. Thanks. Well, see, here's the thing. I don't necessarily think DC's path to victory is shared cinematic universe. I mean, that's what you'll probably do. That's that's what they will probably do. But look at Joker. Joker, to some people, could be considered... I mean, I think Man of Steel is the best DC movie since The Dark Knight. But uh, there would be a lot of people out there that would say Joker is the best DC movie since The Dark Knight. And it's not a part of a shared cinematic universe. It's its own standalone film. It got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It won Joaquin Phoenix, the the, the Oscar for Best Lead Actor in a motion picture, something that's never happened in a comic book-based film before. And it made over a billion dollars. It is the, the, the prime example of a true success. I don't think Warner Brothers necessarily has to do shared cinematic universe. They can just make a good full slate of great individual films. Or they can do it cinematic universe. I mean, I just think either option should be open to them right now. But we'll we'll see what they do with that moving forward. Thanks for adding that in, Chris. Next up, Ethan Holgate writes, one of two. Hey, John and crew, with Avatar 2 coming out this year, <laughs> fingers crossed indeed, who knows when that's going to come out. Uh, knowing Jim, I guess you mean James Cameron, I'm beyond excited for it. I'm very curious about who he'll get to score the movie considering James Horner is sadly no longer with us. What a masterful com- composer... Uh, gone too soon. His score was so beautiful and immersive with the music he crafted for Avatar. He really did create a great score for Avatar. In my opinion, wonder if Jim will get uh, Tom Hulkenberg, who worked on Alita, or uh, Alan Silvestri, who worked on The Abyss, or Hans Zimmer. You never know who could be uh, who could be wrong, but it's Jim. He knows what's right. I'm going to go out on a limb. Uh, Silvestri, Zimmer, pull John, um, John Williams out of semi-retirement, whatever. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to guess he's going to get Michael Giacchino. Now, for all I know, he's already got his composer and they're already scoring the film for all I know. I, I mean, maybe I just missed that announcement. It's, it's a very good chance that maybe I did. But in the absence of that, I'll call the dark horse Michael Giacchino. I have a feeling he might go with Michael Giacchino, who's who's turning out to be a superstar, I think, in the long run. All right. Last question of the day, guys, comes to us from Corey Giddings. And Corey Giddings writes, Hey, guys, just got through watching a new Rockstars breakdown of the Batman trailer. Very interesting points they give. And I was wondering if they made a Court of Owls sequel, which, by the way, you guys should read. Oh, We've talked about Court of Owls many times. Would this idea intrigue you? Well, I mean, look, here's the thing. There are many, 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 many Batman stories that could make interesting movies. But the thing is, you'd have to heavily adapt it, right? 
Court of Owls is not something you just come out and do. And if you did it, you'd have to take a lot of liberties and change it up a lot. Most comic book movies, most of the best comic book movies have to do that. So, but based on that, any story from the Batman lore could make a very fascinating movie if adapted right and if written right. I mean, whether it's No Man's Land or whether it's Death in the Family or whether it's Court of Owls or whether it's, you know, whatever, you can just take about any classic Batman storyline and it could make a great movie. It could if it's written right. And if it's adapted correctly for the screen, it could be fascinating and great. But the Court of Owls is something that's been, I know the video game that's coming out focuses heavily on the Court of Owls. So it's going to be interesting if it picks up kind of amongst, I know it's very popular amongst comic book fans, hasn't really become famous among non-comic book fans, but who knows, maybe it'll do that soon. All right, guys, listen, there are still more questions to come from Corey um, and Chris M and more from Corey. Do not worry, we will pick up right where we left. There's only a few questions left. We'll pick up right where we left off on tomorrow's The John Campia Show. But for now, guys, that'll do it. For this installment of the companion videos, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your evening. Uh, don't forget to join us for the John Campus show again tomorrow. Me, uh, Kimberly, and Ray. Uh, Rob's going to take Wednesdays off. You're going to see Rob on the show on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Uh, but tomorrow's going to be me, Kimberly, and Ray. Obviously, we're going to be talking a little bit about Boba Fett. Also, we're going to do a Boba Fett post-game open spoiler discussion tomorrow afternoon. Keep your guys' eyes open for that. Uh, then on Thursday show, like Christian Harloff is going to be joining us for a chat on Thursday show. That should be kind of fun. Anyway, guys, thank you for being here. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campus show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.